Welcome to the Resiliency Podcast. Join us for discussions about the timeless principles of human healing, mental wellness, and modern science. Today, I'll be talking to Dr. Shauna Springer. Known as Doc Springer in the military community, she is one of the nation's leading experts on trauma, military transition, and close relationships. She's become a trusted doc to countless warfighters across the country and has gained the respect of warriors of all ranks. Thanks for joining me today, Shauna. Hey, it's good to be here, Sarah. Yeah, how are you doing? Good. Um, better than good, actually. I had the incredible gift and blessing, thanks to you and Magnus at Mission 22 and your team, to be able to uh, go down to Texas and join a group of warfighters to tell them about the partnership that Stella has with Mission 22 and to tell them that uh, Mission 22 had raised funds to make the Stella Ganglion block available for uh, those who were attending that wanted it. And it was just amazing to be there and have four of the guys in the circle who had received this talk about their experience and then hear about what we're doing with uh, Mission 22. So I'm better than good today. That's fantastic to hear. Well, since we're talking about that, why don't you give kind of a little background on Stella and what the Stella Ganglion Block is for those that are listening that might not know what that is? Sure. So uh, Stella is basically the company that has uh, scaled up over the last year to put 20 clinics uh, across the country. And we now have a presence in Australia as well. I am the chief psychologist for Stella. I don't do clinical work. I really engage in uh, writing and teaching and media work to help people learn about this really important uh, innovative procedure. It is an injection of an anesthetic medication into a cluster of nerves in the neck. And when it works, and it works uh, the great majority of the time, it helps people become calm again in their own bodies. And so when you combine this uh, with powerful treatment programs like the Mission 22 Recovery and Resiliency Program, it's getting amazing results. That's so fantastic to hear. And it's so important for them to be able to have that opportunity to kind of do a reset, if you will, which is, I think, kind of what you're explaining, which has just been a a really great opportunity on our end to be able to see the ability that it has um, to get them kind of a a start over and a base to be able to walk into R&R with such a great platform of uh, wellness and a lower stress reduction. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, a reset. It's like... um... It's such a shift for people to go from being unable to sleep and not feeling in control or calm in their own bodies to feeling restored to a sense of calm, that it really is the right kind of condition to enter uh, a therapy or treatment program like R&R and really get the most benefit from it. You know, and and as you know, Sarah Magnus and I talk about this frequently, how patients really need to, uh, clients, patients, veterans, they need to be empowered to really pursue their own wellness. And they need to put in the work to change the thinking and behavior that otherwise uh, keeps them in a traumatized state. So it's really the pairing of the two that really is where the magic is with this. 
Definitely. You have a lot of experience with that. And I, I think we'd love to hear more about kind of your background and your history, maybe what brought you here and what you've seen. You have such a wealth of experience with working with warriors on their healing um, as a, a participant. And, you know, I, I like to use the word healer in your book rather than, you know, a doctor mm-hmm. or psychologist. So I'd love to hear more about your thinking on the healing of veterans and how maybe the population has been viewing it in a way that might not be most beneficial to that healing. Yeah, sure. So um, I also like the word healer because there are different kinds of healers that we can encounter in life. And one of them is, you know, licensed providers that uh, have gone through uh, schooling and gotten certifications and licensure to be in the healing profession. Um, But the traditional model of that is Often patients will, you know, go into a clinical office and they will talk about the challenges they face. And then the provider or healer will define a treatment plan to meet those challenges. And that's how I was trained. Uh, I was trained in a very, you know, traditional way, like many people are. I had eight years uh, in the VA serving hundreds of veterans using a variety of best practice therapies for trauma. And patients did respond. Um, But what I realized is that when I shifted the frame from being a traditional uh, psychologist working with them to really walking with them alongside them as a co-creator and a, uh, a partner in their healing, everything really changed. Actually, I'll tell you a story, Sarah, that I, I don't know if I've really shared in any podcast or writing I've done, but there was a um, peer support specialist that I worked with at the VA. They had a really great program um, pulling in veterans as peer support specialists. And we formed a really uh, great working relationship and would take care of people together. And so the shift from the one-on-one, you know, provider and patient relationship to me and him working together with the same patient was really profoundly impactful. And interestingly, you know, even though I had been in school and I had my license, he had more freedom than I had to do certain things. Like the professional licensure, you know, it's a little bit harder in that role to do things like go on a hike with a patient and talk about, you know, things that are going on for them and the challenges they face. But together with the peer support specialist, sometimes I would join them for a hike. And so the three of us would walk the hills of Martinez, uh, which was beautiful country. It was where John Muir, the famous naturalist, actually had a homestead. So you can imagine he would have picked a good place to land. And there were really cool trails all around. And we would walk together with a veteran that we were both treating that trusted us. And together, we would help them really get new insights and, and become much more empowered in their treatment journey. And that really got me thinking about this different approach of really aligning with patients and walking with them in a different way than kind of the conventional one-on-one patient and provider role. I really love that thinking. And that's something, you know, we really believe in here at Mission 22 is not only, I think it gives them the opportunity to become more of a participant in their healing rather than sitting in a scenario where maybe somebody was just 
telling them what to do and um, not creating that room, like you were talking about, that room of opportunity for a partnership to form. I think it's really amazing um, that you've been focusing on that throughout your work. Yeah, thanks. I mean, another thing that's really changed my approach to practice is um, really embedding in circles of warfighters, you know, not as a doctor, um, but as a trusted doc that equips them with insights that, you know, listens deeply to where their pain is, the stuff that often didn't come up in my clinical space. There were lots of things like the things that were eating them alive uh, for example, losing a brother or sister in arms to suicide. There were these agonizing questions about what did they miss or what does this mean about the trust they had or the relationship they had with that person that they weren't informed as to how dangerously suicidal they had become before they took their own life. These things uh, don't come up as often when you have a standard treatment plan and you're really focused on a target problem. So it's kind of like you have to align yourself in a different way to see what I think of as the story behind the story that they share at first. Because the first story you hear is often not the one you really need to understand. Definitely. And I think it also creates an opportunity for them to be empowered to pursue their own wellness. And I think you having that unique uh, insight into working with so many veterans, I'd love to hear what uh, your experience of uh, what it means for them to be empowered um, to be such a, a leader in their healing. Yeah. So, I mean, I can draw from even this past weekend. One of our themes was what does it look like to be a warrior when there's no war that you're fighting, you know, a conventional war. Um, and we talked about how a warrior is somebody who takes on a meaty challenge that involves some risk and that a warrior is willing to make sacrifices and be persistent and be uncomfortable in the service of the greater values that they hold sacred. And that to me really applies to the work of healing. It really is just such a clear map on to help them understand the mountain in front of them was how we talked about it. The master sergeant that was uh, helping host this talked about the mountain. And so I kind of borrowed that language and talked about how when these, they were Marines. So when they graduated from boot camp, they had to pass the crucible. Crucible is a, a very, uh, it's a big mountain. Basically they have to like, climb up at the end of all of their training. They're exhausted. And that life presents us with a number of crucibles, not just that one, but it's it's continuously going to present us with these mountains, these challenges. And so you need to work as hard or harder than the healer that's walking with you. And that was part of our discussion too, that, you know, my approach to healing is I can teach you how to see the battle before you. I can teach you the insights. I can give you the strategies, but you have to be willing to put in the work. I can't earn your eagle globe and anchor for you and I can't earn your healing for you and so they really were able to hear that in the context of how they became marines how they were built in the first place um, to be able to really apply that to the challenges they face right now that's really fascinating what a great um, group of people it sounds like that was such an amazing opportunity to be there and be a part of that Oh, they're amazing. They've become 
many of them become like family to me. You know, um, it was just a really interesting weekend because we were actually near a very uh, live artillery zone, a training zone. Um, and so there were Apache helicopters that came through tracers one night and tanks continuously rolling by and they taught us how to shoot a sniper rifle. Uh, it was a Marine sniper who gave us, you know, a clinic in that. And then uh, the guys had, you know, some firearms that there was a shooting range. And so, you know, they had fun kind of teaching me some things about that. And it was a great time, but we also did a lot of work. Um, and the the gist of the weekend was to really face directly the grief and the survivor guilt and whatever issues were coming up for them so that they could really help each other through that. And that's another thing is, you know, really facilitating that, what they can do for each other is often as powerful or more powerful than what a one-on-one provider-patient relationship is able to achieve. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big reason why with the Recovery and Resiliency Program that we, it goes through as a cohort model. Um, often I think that they find just as much, like you said, if not more healing with amongst themselves as a group, um, which has yeah. been, it's been such a great thing to see them be able to go through it together, uh, the camaraderie, the healing that happens. And I know that's something you've talked about as well in the past of um, how, you know, how that camaraderie and how that camaraderie is overseas and how that affects them coming home when they don't have that anymore. Um, so I think any opportunity to, to create that in a scenario where they have that group of people to rely on um, is, is so, so important. It is because what happens when they come out of the military is that people often will scatter to the winds and, and land in different places. And uh, we talk about in transition, you know, helping people get their next job or update their resume. And those things are important, but that is uh, really going to miss the core trauma of transition. If we don't focus on it as uh, it's really an attachment wound, it's a an emotional amputation from the people that have been family to you for many years. It's not moving on from a group of coworkers. It is uh, separating from the family that you have Uh, walked through hell with, frankly, and that you've trusted with your life. Those bonds, that trust, it's real. And to the degree that it's real, there's a a great wounding that happens when people have to scatter and, and separate from each other. And so for years, for many years, you know, we've been bringing the tribe back together, putting those units back together. They already trust each other. And so the work we can do together around moral injury and, and other things like survivor guilt, it's just next level. It's just incredible. That's really fantastic. I know you work a lot uh, with veterans on transitions, not only transitions for themselves, but transitions for their families uh, and marriages. So maybe for a second, we can talk about those transitions and marriages as a couple and how transitioning out of the military can not only affect the veteran, but their family as a whole. Yes, definitely. It definitely affects everybody in the family um, and it's a high risk time for divorce or for relationship breakup. It's also a high risk time for people to get involved in relationships that are not healthy because that attachment wound leaves people feeling this aching loss and often they will be um, vulnerable to trying to fill that need with the first person they meet 
and get really over-involved or quickly, you know, engaged or married to somebody that they haven't really taken the time to uh, really develop a relationship with that can last the long haul. So it's a very high-risk time for relationships, both the way that they can form in unhealthy ways that people regret later on. But even in rock-solid marriages, transition is a punch in the gut for both members of the couple. And I think what we often forget is that, you know, when military service members are often overseas or deployed, their spouse depends on and develops their own tribe of other military spouses. And that network, that family that the spouse develops is critical for weathering the stress of the, you know, frequent moves and the deployments. And so when the when I talk about attachment wound, I'm not just talking about the service member. The military spouse or partner is absolutely affected by the same thing, the loss of their family. So if you look at it that way, then you think we've got two people who are in deep grief. Nobody's putting words to it in most cases. They're just saying transition is really hard. They're not saying I'm grieving the loss of the family I knew and so are you. And the marriage has got to... Um, be reformulated with a whole different set of rules. And unless people do that in an intentional way, it causes tremendous stress on the bond that the couple shares because their whole life gets thrown into a blender. The roles and the rules and the expectations that they had formed and, and maintained for so long to keep the stability of the marriage has now been thrown into a blender. So it's a very high stress, high vulnerability time for all kinds of couples. Definitely. And I'm, I think I remember reading as well that the divorce rate for military families is actually higher after they get out of the military than while they're in the military. Um, I think that so much, and we had talked about this before, of like conflict is critical for that relationship growth, but so many couples avoid it. Do you have any advice for that on how perhaps they can approach it from a different standpoint where it can result in relationship growth instead of destruction? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And, you know, couples do avoid it. Couples uh, that are civilian avoid it. And couples that have a military partner or two military partners, they especially avoid it. In a lot of cases, in my experience, there is often a, a fear of conflict. And it's an interesting thing, you know, because you think about people that are trained to go into situations others fear. I mean, the problem is not bravery as a global trait of a person. We've got very brave people who are avoiding conflict in their relationships, um, sometimes because they may be afraid of their own anger, sometimes because they just haven't had to do this, you know, in a way at home. Uh, sometimes couples come up with a kind of chronic avoidance of their problems and they spend, you know, lengthy periods of time separated. I know in some military marriages, uh, there's such lengths of time that someone is deployed that they just have these relatively short periods of time where they come together and, you know, it's really joyful, uh, sometimes very stressful, but a lot of the marriage has actually been spent functionally separated in two different places that have two different sets of rules. I mean, when you go and you deploy to a war zone, that's like entering into like an alternate landscape, literally and metaphorically. 
that has its own set of rules. So when they come out as a couple out of the military, then they are essentially forced to uh, figure it out, to navigate a time that is very high stress together and weather that storm of transition or it they, they break against the rocks, essentially. And so, unfortunately, um, although I haven't read that statistic, it absolutely matches with the clinical work I've done with couples, um, veteran couples, as they have transitioned out of the military. And it's so tragic, too, because they're coming back from a situation where they've been supporting our country and where they're, you know, doing this great work. And then they come back and then it's what do we do next? You know, there's wives that I've talked to that talked about how much they were involved, whether they lived on base or they were involved with, you know, other veterans, kids. And then it's they come back and now they're in the civilian world and it's what do they do next? Um, you know, there yeah. are some great organizations that have programs for things uh, for women, especially spouses, to be able to get involved with. The Green Beret Foundation has a steel, the Steel Magnolias, which is a fantastic group for women to kind of continue that camaraderie afterwards. But there aren't enough of them. Um, and I definitely that's something that I would love to see more of is an opportunity for spouses, because, you know, secondary things that we haven't even discussed yet is secondary post-traumatic stress um, and the impact of that trauma on marriage and the family. So I'd love to hear what your experience is with that, with secondary PTS, because I think it's often not talked about. You know, there's so many organizations that are supporting veterans, um, and there is not a lot out there available for spouses, and secondary PTS is a real thing. So I'd love to hear your experience with that um, and any advice you might have for our listeners on it. Yeah, it is absolutely a real thing, and the scarcity of opportunities for spouses and partners to find a new tribe is also a real thing. Um, and Steel Magnolias within the Green Beret Foundation is, is a really good example of uh, one place where women can find that uh, camaraderie again. I know that at Mission 22 that you all are doing a spouse cohort. Um, so I'm excited about that and, and excited to see how that plays out because to your point, I think in the military lifestyle, there is such a focus on the service member. And spouses are labeled as quote unquote dependents, when in fact, um, they are some of the strongest people you'll ever meet. They're often warriors in their own way and they hold down the fort while, um, while there's a deployment. And so, um, they are very independent and strong-willed individuals that are highly capable. And part of that capability is working with a team or a unit, the, the community that they create around themselves. And then when they get isolated and they don't have the resources, it's really a problem because post-traumatic stress affects the entire family. If you live with someone who is being jarred awake at night by nightmares, who is overcome with sudden surges of anxiety or panic attacks, um, surges of irritability or anger, it will definitely affect you and create a home environment that feels kind of unpredictable and um, anxiety producing. And it will also change the scope of the things you're able to do in life, you know, as the couple or the family becomes more avoidant of 
big crowds or places that, you know, create anxiety, it definitely restricts the, the movement of everybody in the family. So secondary trauma is absolutely a real thing. And I'm super excited about the partnership with um, Stella, Mission 22, Green Beret Foundation, and the shared recognition that our organizations have that spouses and partners serve to, that they are worthy of care, that they deserve to be, um, to have their suffering addressed, treated, and they deserve to be supported along with their military service member. Absolutely. And we're really excited to launch the spouse program as well. You know, when Magnus first got out of the military, there wasn't, there was not, especially back then, 2013, 2012, um, there wasn't any information really for me to gather for me to be able to learn about what he was going through. And I think that education piece is really key to the education on trauma, the education on how it can affect your family as you go. And, you know, mission 22 has been such a big part of our family's healing as well. And so being able to launch a spouse program is such a, a an exciting thing for me because being able to offer a program where we can not only support the spouse, but also by doing so supporting their family and their children, you know, strong families equals a strong family of veterans. And so it's going to be so fantastic to be able to offer that to them. Um, and not only with spouses going through it, but then having a, a spouse and a veteran going through it at the same time through their programs. And, um, it's going to be really amazing to watch that healing process go. And it's something we really believe in. It's why we have the kids writing program here, you know, that we've been piloting at the mission 22 facility and watching the kids as they, you know, have stress reduction, more self-confidence, the smiles on their face of what that means. Like it, it's not just riding, you know, it's not just riding horses. There's thousands of studies that have been done on the cortisol reducing effects of being around a horse, but then you see their families sitting around and talking together and sharing that experience and creating a community. And that's what it's about. It's about healing together through their families and their marriages and their children and being able to have a place to go where they feel like they're understood And I think so many veterans today don't feel like they have that anymore because of, you know, preconceived notions and ideas or maybe how they've been portrayed in the media even. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I think Mm -hmm. having an opportunity to rewrite that narrative is such a powerful thing to be able to be a part of. Absolutely. I mean, veterans and service members and their families and their kids, they, um, they grow and they learn in units. So to me, it's the most logical thing that, that healing is a, a family affair, that healing is a, an organized, unit-based growth experience that we need to bring together a tribe and, and walk through these challenges, not you know just one person being pulled out of the family and focused on as the, the singular patient in the system, but as a unit that is going through transition always. And trauma and healing together. Um, And one of the things, you know, that's been really on my heart is that many people that need the help won't get the help because they have lost trust. Um, And we can wish that it weren't so, but that is the case. And that's what I see when I go out to reunions, that there are people who don't trust systems. So one of the things I've been working on this last year that I'm about to launch um, is called the Master Guide to Mental Wellness. And what this is, is it's going to be a virtual um, virtual learning experience that basically takes people 
through my book, Warrior, through my friend Jennifer's book um, as well. It's From the Deepest Darkness to the Light of Hope and takes them through both books. There's a short video for each chapter, and then there's summaries of key points, and there's questions to drive reflection and worksheets to help people apply that. And we did this for the spouses and for the military service members and for people to really go through these kinds of shared experiences together as a unit. That sounds like such a great program. Um, When is that going to be launching? It should be launching within the next few weeks, so I will say by August um, 2021, if not before. That's fantastic. How would somebody sign up if they were interested to do that? Yeah, so the website is www.redefineyourmission.com. And you can learn more and take a a sneak peek under the hood there. Um, And then I also have links for uh, other things I'm doing, like my book on my website, which is www.redefineyourmission.com. Dr. Shauna Springer.com, D-R-S-H-A-U-N-A-S-P-R-I-N-G-E-R.com. That's fantastic. Well, great. I just want to make sure that everybody has an opportunity to check that out if they're interested. Something else that you talk about in your book, Warrior, that I think is a really hot button topic right now, um, and I think it creates kind of a dividing line, but I love your thought process on it. So I'd like to speak on that for a minute is your yeah. thinking process on veterans and firearms. Um, I know yeah. that people are, it's kind of a, a line in the sand, uh, but I think your, your values on it, what you're saying is the same thing that we believe. And I'd kind of love to hear more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I have never doubted not once that people in that conversation are well-intended um, and people in the clinical community are looking at the research and they're saying firearms are highly lethal when people use them and they're the go-to method when there's a suicide attempt. Um, And so they're looking at that research and from that research, they then take a pretty blunt approach to just going straight into that conversation and asking, do you own firearms and how do you store them? And then providing education around safe storage, um, encouragement about, you know, removing means or restricting means or limiting means. Um, And that's really very insulting for people that are firearms experts. Um, There's a huge culture and trust gap already between many of the healers who serve our veterans and the people in the tribe. Um, People that are healers don't always, but often have a discomfort with firearms, you know, themselves That, that has become very clear to me. And so they don't really have the credibility and the trust to have that conversation in a way that feels respectful. And just the conversation, if you don't have the trust and you go into that conversation in the wrong way, can actually increase suicide risk by leading a patient to immediately drop out of treatment that could otherwise be extremely helpful for them. Um, And in fact, it's a barrier to care even for those who haven't come in because they don't want to get those questions. So if they think I'm going to go into this system and somebody's going to chart in a formal document, you know, if I have firearms and how am I storing them, that's actually a barrier to people even seeking care in the first place. So I think the missing thing, uh, among others, is that there needs to be a better understanding of what firearms mean for veterans. 
that they are for many veterans and firearms owners, service members, an extension of their identity and something that is a core part of warriorship for many people. And so if you understand that and you can align with them about what's really at stake here in a way that's culturally respectful, you can create all kinds of creative solutions that minimize or eliminate risk without removing people's dignity or making them feel like you have some motive to take their firearms away or threaten you know, their, their rights. What do you think, Sarah? I'm, I'm curious to hear about your perspective on this. I, I completely agree with you. Um, I think they're in a culture or culture today, I think a lot of people have a fear of firearms um, for obvious reasons. And I think that they aren't in a space where they can even have that conversation or be open to other mm-hmm. ideas on it. And in my experience with the thousands of veterans we've spoken to, uh, obviously we have a, a multi-gun sport team. Um, and so there's been people that haven't really, they've had a problem with that. And so we have been of this exact same mindset that you are um, as well. And it's really refreshing to be reading that when I was reading your book, you know, it was really refreshing to be able to read somebody that had that same mindset, because I do think it can be a barrier to care. I think that veterans uh, might be afraid that um, something that you said, like, is such a part of them is going to be taken away when really they just want help. And if they got the proper help, then it's never an issue moving forward regardless. And the veterans that I've talked to that have read your book uh, feel the exact same way. And actually, it's often one of the first things that's brought up to me about your book, um, beyond mm-hmm. the obvious, uh, the other fantastic things that you go over. But um, yeah, it was really refreshing to be able to read somebody that had that mindset, especially coming from a doctor, because often I think so many doctors are kind of nervous to make mm-hmm. the, to, to even say that. So um, I, mm-hmm. I applaud you for taking that stance and actually looking into the research-based facts on it, because I think that's what will help change that narrative and change that conversation moving forward. A hundred percent. I mean, when I go out to these warfighter reunions and retreats, some of them, like the one I was at last weekend, um, are on a live firing range. And I will teach them some things that I know from my background and expertise about how to work with their spouse on some things or whatever it may be. And then they'll have fun teaching me some things and having me shoot all of their firearms and, you know, helping me get a little bit better each time. And we have a lot of fun with that. And so because they trust me and they know that I enjoy shooting, I'm not afraid of them or shooting or firearms I can have a conversation with them based on that trust, where if I was really worried about someone, the context of that conversation would be very different. If I said to someone, hey, you know what? Um, A lot of suicides that happen, uh, people don't see the threat in their blind spot. They don't see how in a moment of overwhelming stress, a firearm that was purchased for protection of themselves and their family can be quickly turned into a weapon for self-destruction. And, you know, you're in a place that's frankly pretty dangerous right now, and I would like to align with you and protect your family with you from the possibility of um, a tragic outcome. And so can we talk about some creative ways, whether it's, you know, removing your firing pin and letting a buddy hold it, you know, until you're out of the woods on the overwhelming stress in your life or whatever it may be. There is no resistance 
among the people in my circle because they know that I'm not approaching them from a desire to take their firearm away Mm -hmm. or take their dignity away or, you know, something like that. Otherwise, what we forget is that that conversation about firearms, it's going to map on for many veterans to the idea of a person in the military that can take away your firearms is somebody with positional authority over you that can say, I don't trust you with your firearms right now. And so I'm taking them away. But if you build that trust and they know that you have their back, you can have any kind of conversation about how do we work together and align around this to prevent a tragic outcome that you know neither of us wants right now. Exactly. And I think that kind of feeds into the misconceptions that are often sensationalized by the media um, on veterans and who they are. And you touch on that in your book um, in chapter three, which I I love. The book's fantastic, but chapter three, I think, is my favorite on the myth of the broken ones. And I would love to hear your thoughts on that and your ideas on these misconceptions and not only how they affect veterans, but how they're affecting our communities as well. Yeah, sure. Thank you for asking. You know, I go into these circles and what I hear is that they see all of this public messaging that puts out alarming statistics about suicide. And again, I've never doubted the intentions of the people behind these kinds of public messaging campaigns. But really, when I'm in the trenches of mental warfare with the people that are fighting that battle, it feels like the constant message is you're broken. This is a problem that has no solution. This is a runaway train. This will keep happening. That's a really, you know, dangerous message, I think. What I've seen is that with the right insights and the right support, with treating the biological aspect of trauma, with giving people those insights, you know, which is what my work and my writing is about, with the support and wraparound care of a program like Recovery and Resiliency, that gets so detailed that people are able to see themselves growing with the biometric devices that are provided, that's a powerful kind of combination. And so I know that there's hope, but so much of the status quo is actually producing the exact opposite of the desired end state and making people feel like they're broken and that post-traumatic stress is a life sentence. And it's just not, it's just not. People can heal with the right insights and the right support. Absolutely. And, you know, Mission 22 even fell a little trapped to that in the beginning with our messaging. And it's something we've worked really hard over the last couple of years to change, you know, changing our tagline to United We Heal, uh, focusing on programs that are focusing on healing rather than masking the problems, talking about them, encouraging other veterans to talk about them. We're getting ready to launch a mini documentary series on veterans and their healing and the things that they've done and how it can look so different for so many people. You know, we have veterans who are healing through biking, through jujitsu, through, I mean, all kinds of things. And they have such a wealth of knowledge and experience to offer um, to their communities, to their families, to their marriages. And so it's really amazing seeing these empowering stories rather than this, you know, I think the media is focused so much on the woe is me, this is the problem. 
um, rather than the solution. And we have the opportunity yeah. to really rewrite the narrative on yeah. veterans and their families and you know what we're doing as a community to support them and it's just really exciting which is you know working with you and Stella and working through the recovering resiliency program we have seen some amazing data captures through that um, through our testing of the recovering resiliency program and with Stella we've seen an, in, uh, an increase of 40 percent in REM sleep which as I'm as a doctor you know that that is profound it's um, so important I mean you are literally on the the cutting edge of rewriting that narrative i've seen i've gotten sneak previews of some of the documentary um, profiles that mission 22 has been working on and i get chills just thinking about them um, and how powerful that programming is showing up to be you know like 10 15 years ago probably more close to 15 years ago when i started working with veterans um, one of the the really crude technologies that I used at that time with my patients was just, um, it was a Mio heart rate watch. Mm -hmm. And you would put two finger pads on two buttons on a watch and it would give you a sense of your pulse. And so I would use this with patients to help them see what was going on inside their bodies because the data doesn't lie. And so when they could understand what was going on inside them, they had traction for getting mastery over their emotional state. And we could use even something that crude to help them work towards getting emotional self-mastery or deciding not to have conflict with the partner that they love, with their chosen battle buddy for life when they were at an elevated uh, state or, or an altered state that was not going to be productive for conflict. And so that was such a crude way of doing this, but it was the seed of an idea that was about empowering people to really understand their own body system and to work with it and shape it. And that's part of warriorship. You know, warriors, they evolve and they train themselves and they overcome incredible obstacles to get to end state. And so now what Mission 22 is doing is so much more <laughs> cutting edge than anything I'm talking about. It, it's really applying very sophisticated biometric tools and the power of helping people see themselves change in that way with that kind of data is not only helping us to see the change, but most important, it helps the patients see how they are growing and that's fundamental to empowering them on their own recovery journey. Absolutely. And it also gives them such an opportunity to view real time of what's going mm -hmm. on with their, their stress levels and their mind and their body. You know, we had a veteran that had said to us, like, I was in a really stressful situation. You know, their kids were driving them crazy. They were stressed out with their wife and just was really having a hard time. He said, I looked at my watch and I looked at my stress and I was like, oh, it's 90 out of 100 maybe I need to go meditate and recognizing that yes. in that situation that it might be them and not everyone around them. That isn't obviously always the case, but being able to have that self-awareness to say, Hey, I have this ability to check what's going on on a real time basis. And then in real time going, Oh, okay. I need to go reset because where I'm at emotionally right now is not in a good position to deal with what's going on. And I'm just going to maybe say things or feel things that aren't real or aren't necessary 
And so being able to go, he said, and go and reset and come back with a totally different mindset. Like he never even, because before it never even crossed his mind that it was him. It was everybody else, (laughs) you know? So, right. To your point, like, here's another little open secret. Like a lot of the, the couples therapy work that I've done that other couples therapists do, I would say, anyway, based on my experience, I'll speak for myself here. It wasn't that I was giving people solutions they had not thought of or coming up with some brilliant idea about how they could change their marriage. A lot of the work was really helping the couple get into the right mind state. And when they were in the right calm mind state, they would readily come up with highly creative solutions that would change the situation that would change how they operated in conflict, that would change the outcome for their family when they were in the right mind state. And so I saw that often enough that I started to actually use the same principle for myself many, many years ago. When those Mio heart rate watches came out, I had one and I would be under the table kind of getting my heart rate when I was in like a clinical supervision meeting with a supervisor who was stressing me out or like, after a session with a patient, I would check in with myself and getting that feedback and learning to bring myself back down. It has paid off immensely in terms of being able to sit with people when they are all jacked up and I need to be calm and stable and an anchoring presence and give them the gift of sitting with them in stillness and not being anxious in the room. And I would credit that growth in myself to using a very crude form of what Mission 22 does so beautifully now with the biometric devices that are so much more advanced than what I was doing, you know, 10 years ago. Well, and it's so empowering to be able to take that time and realize what's going on on a physiological level and realize that often it's that connection between the mind, body, spirit, right? So I think often through traditional, um, traditional medical methods, if you will, they're often viewed as separate. And what we're finding is that's not really true. Your body affects your mind, your mind affects your body. If your heart rate's high, your stress levels are high and everything else going on. So being able to take that moment to just reset is so, so important. And so it's been amazing through the work that we're doing with you guys at Stella and Mission 22 and being able to watch that data on a real-time basis as resting heart rates are going down, sleep and REM levels Mm -hmm. are going up, stress Mm -hmm. levels are being reduced. I mean, the stress level reductions, we were talking about this recently is the stress level reductions that we saw immediately after the SGB injection is, it's life-changing. And so being able to have this program that we have opened, you know, so many cohorts for veterans and now being able to open it for spouses, I can't wait to see that healing that goes together. Because like you were talking about, it's, um, I wrote about this a little in our book, it's like the power of expectations, right? And so Mm -hmm. if you're healing as a family, what pot, like imagine the possibilities rather than, you know, maybe the veteran going through separately or the spouse going through separately, but these cohorts that we're going to run side by side, like imagine Mm -hmm. the healing that's going to happen when we've got them simultaneously, you know, going through those programs together. It's, um, I'm really excited to see how that data comes back. Game changing. Yeah. Game Game changing. changing. Yeah. Because it's just such a, it's going to be such an amazing thing to watch. Um, and I, I know you guys are excited about it too. It's going to be pretty phenomenal. And it's a long program. Recovery and resiliency is a year of support. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's also, and the fact that it can be done 
virtually, you know, wherever people live and work, yeah, they can be embedded with their, you know, networks of support and get this additional support is just incredible. Um, How, how would people sort of know about the, the spouse cohort if they wanted to learn more about it or about, you know, what you all are doing? I, I hope I just want to like make sure that this gets to be part of our conversation so that if people are interested in everything mission 22 is bringing forward, they know exactly where to find more information, right? We're going to be launching uh, the beta testing groups for the spouse program in the coming month, um, which is going to be really exciting. And then they're just going to apply at mission 22.com. It'll be just in the same area that the, the recovery and resiliency application is. So we're going to have a number of different programs. Actually, we're going to have the 12 month program. That's the R and R proper, the main program right now. And then we're going to have the program for spouses. And then we're also going to open a general R and R program. That's just for trauma, um, which is pretty exciting. And then Marcus is also just wrapped up. We're launching, we're calling it uh, recovery and resiliency elementals. And it's essentially a 30 day boot camp program for everyone to do while they're waiting for the next cohort to start. Because often, you know, we start these as cohorts, so we fill them and then we begin them. And so often there's a couple weeks in between where, you know, they're waiting and things like that. And this will give people the opportunity to kind of get those, that ground, that basis right out from the beginning. Yeah. So it's going to be, it's going to be really exciting to be able to offer that uh, to such a broader group of people, because we've already seen how well it's working. We already have the data to back it up. And then the partnership yeah. adding with Stella has been, it's been amazing because, you know, as a doctor, maybe we could talk on that for a second of like the increase in yeah. REM sleep or, you know, the lowering yeah. heart rate. Like, what does that mean as far as, you know, veterans and spouses dealing with stress, cortisol levels, you know, anxiety, et cetera? Like, what does that mean by having, seeing that profound of a reduction in stress and increase in sleep? Yeah, so it's it's all related, right? So if somebody is not sleeping or they're not getting restorative sleep, that deep wave REM sleep that really helps to heal us psychologically, emotionally, and physically, then their whole system is going to be out of whack. And so to me, if you're not sleeping, um, a lot of the other challenges that come along with trauma are predictable. You know, you're going to feel on edge you're going to feel um you know like you you're having difficulties concentrating if they if you if you stay up for a couple days if you've ever pulled an all-nighter in college um try doing complex math problems you know a couple days after that and it really will be very clear the connection between no sleep and difficulties concentrating or no sleep and your level of irritability and how hair trigger your irritability is. And so the change, like a 40% increase in REM sleep, which is that restorative sleep where we really make sense and make meaning of the things that happen to us and kind of organize it in our mental file in a way that's adaptive and healthy and allows us to kind of move forward and not get stuck with that trauma response, it's unbelievable to see that kind of outcome and to be able to to document it. It helps set the conditions for everything else that can happen after that, whether it's gaining insights through books you're reading, uh, work you're doing, journaling you're doing, conversations you're having, wellness coaching you're doing as part of Mission 22's programming, athletic endeavors, it sets the conditions for growth 
to be restored in your sleep and in your own body to a sense of, of calm. So, you know, Jennifer Tracy, uh, a coll frequent collaborator of mine, we often talk about how um, it's possible to rebuild yourself from the inside out in response to trauma, which takes away your power. Um, and so the way to become empowered, and this is something that you and Magnus and I have talked about, the importance of shifting that narrative and becoming empowered in your own healing journey. It starts with the fundamentals of getting good sleep and feeling like your body is, um, is able to stay calm in a variety of situations. Absolutely. And it's such a, it's a full body system. You know, I think people often, they're just focusing on the mind or just, you know, focusing on wellness. And it's such a, a key aspect of R&R is all those things working together, um, diet, exercise, working mm -hmm. with a group, working with their families, having that support is such a key element yeah. to mental, physical, spiritual well-being because they all are tied in together. If you're taking care of your body and not your mind, it, it's not a full working system. If you're taking care of your mind and not your body, it's still not a full working mm -hmm. system. So that's something mm -hmm. that we're really trying to work on is creating that environment where they have the ability to heal on a full body, a full person, a full spiritual basis. Um, and mm -hmm. it's been, we've just seen those phenomenal results and it's with Stella, it's been really interesting to see and so fantastic of we've had some veterans do Stella at the beginning or some do it in the middle, but all of them have had that same, that same just phenomenal responses, phenomenal reduction in stress. And it just creates way for the R and R program to work even better because it gives them that capacity, you know, gives them a bigger yeah. cup, gives them more room to have that mental, physical, lowered stress, you know, ability to be able to focus on that healing that needs to be done because healing is also stressful. And I think yes, people yeah. don't often talk about that. You know, healing is yeah. stressful. Um, when our program first starts, we do see a rise in stress levels in the beginning because it's stressful sure. on your body to start working out when you're not. Um, it's stressful to, to look and to deal with things that you have probably not been dealing with. But mm -hmm. every, uh, so far are the people that have gone through it, you know, they hit that, that plateau and then they come out the other side, a whole new person and, yeah. or, or, or themselves, that's a better word. They come yeah. back as themselves, themselves, the person that they, they have always wanted to find again. And it's been amazing yeah. watching that happen. And I know you have experience with that as well of seeing people really come back to themselves and it's such a powerful thing to be able to see um, it is. The, the healing that happens. And then the room they have for other things in your life. Um, I'm going to have somebody else on the show in the coming weeks of, you know, a veteran who went through R&R that we have worked with in the past. And like the capacity that he's had just to grow in his life outside of yeah. that has been so beautiful. Um, mm. And I know you have a lot of experience with that as well. Yeah, and one of the things that I really love about the Mission 22 program specifically is that it's informed by people who get it, who are part of the tribe or who are trusted by the tribe. And so there's an element of it. It's not just holistic care to get you well in terms of the physical, the you know, emotional healing, the wellness, but there's also, and I know this because I know people that have gone through your program, and I've seen some of your powerful documentaries that I will um, hold hold close to the chest and not not talk details here. <laughs> but 
just the concept that I keep seeing repeated is that people are not just getting better, they're reconnecting to a deeper purpose. And that is something that you and I both know, Magnus knows all too well, is actually really critical for warriors to feel like they're connected to something that has meaning beyond themselves. Um, and I've seen how the people that go through your program, they find ways to express that very important aspect of warriorship through a life that is driven by a greater purpose. Um, and it takes different forms, you know, for different people, but I've seen them do that in really meaningful ways. And so I'm excited to see those uh, videos, that documentary series that you're doing, you know, come out and, and be available for folks to watch and really see the power of, of everything that's going on. Definitely. Yeah, I completely agree. I'm, we're really excited to get those out and to share those. From a, a psychological standpoint, why do you think that is so important to them to be able to have well, that, that purpose yeah. in their lives? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the, the things that the military does, so it sort of selects for people that have that yearning often in the first place that, you know, take the oath of service because they feel a call on their lives to be part of something that's bigger than just themselves. That service is a call on their heart, that they want to live a life where service is a core and sacred principle in their lives. And so a lot of people go into the military because of that call. Some don't, but then when they are in the military, assuming they're in a healthy chain of command, if they have the experience of feeling blessed to serve in that way that really is extremely fulfilling to their soul and their heart, then when they come out, everything else kind of feels like not that great until they find and repurpose the warrior within themselves to bend it towards a new way of having purpose. It becomes, for many who serve in the military, to include spouses, for sure, it becomes a component of a life well-lived that they can't do without. And so it becomes, you know, part of uh, not just connecting to a tribe of like-minded people, but connecting to that deeper purpose that requires a level of challenge in their life. Like to have purpose means to, to make sacrifices. It means to invite challenges and face off against things that other people would say, no, thanks, that's not comfortable. I'm not going to do it. It becomes essential to people that are wired like warriors to take on those kind of challenges and have that kind of purpose. And when they don't have it, it affects their emotional and you know global well-being, um, sometimes very profoundly. I completely agree with that. And we've seen that time and time again of the the lack of a purpose, the lack of a mission, if you will, um, it can be kind of like a ship with no sails. And so yeah. creating the capacity to be able to focus on that again, it's just profound. So I, I thank you for speaking on that today. Is there anything else that you can think of uh, today before we wrap up that might be beneficial for people to know any more experience that you'd like to share? Um, there's probably so much that we I could talk with you for hours, Sarah, about how excited I am about what we're doing um, with Stella and Mission 22 and Green Beret Foundation. But I think maybe what would be really cool if you're open to it is having a follow up conversation. You know, when we've kind of seen some of these uh, shared 
clients or patients, veterans, you know, and spouses go through some of this programming and really talking through some of what we're seeing because it's just really, it's, it's unheard of to give this kind of wraparound support and really address the biological injury and then pair that um, with other things that you're doing, you know, in, in the recovery and resiliency program. So I'm really grateful for you and Magnus. Um, it's such a gift to be able to go to people that are like family to me and say, because of Mission 22's generosity, um, you are able to be funded to get the stellate ganglion block procedure. And let me tell you about their program, Recovery and Resiliency, because it's it can really um, help you find a new normal. And so I'm just, I'm grateful for you both and for your leadership and for, I'm excited about the work we're gonna do in changing this narrative. I think it's sorely needed. I think too many veterans have been made to feel and have felt like they need to be passive recipients of whatever kinds of treatment plans are offered to them. And treatment has to be highly adapted to each person. The purpose that they, they find in life is gonna be different, um, but there are certain elemental ingredients to a life well-lived for many warriors and you and Magnus, your team, Marcus, you guys understand that. So I'm really excited about what we're, um, what we're developing. We are as well. It is just, it's been such a phenomenal journey uh, being on this, seeing how everybody's, the programs have grown. And thank you so much for being here, for helping launch this podcast with me. Um, I would absolutely love that. There is, a, like you said, in such a short amount of time, we could probably have hours of conversation on uh, the trauma and healing. So um, I would love to have you back. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for your expertise um, and sharing with them. I, I highly recommend for anybody listening to check out Shauna's book, Warrior. We will put a link to it as well when we post this on social media also, so you can uh, read it. It has been a, a fantastic tool for our whole team. And I really hope you enjoyed as much as we do. Thank you so much, Shauna, for being here. And I am sure I'll be talking to you soon. Thanks, Sarah. Sounds great.